I thought I could hear my voice when we were doing the, <laughs> the reading, so I turned it off. Um, morning, church. Good morning. morning. Um, before I start, I wanted to clarify one thing, and that was, I have it written over there. I saw a quote earlier this week, and it says, uh, be walking in relation, oh, the goal, this, the start of the statement was, the goal of the Christian life is to be walking in relationship with Jesus, knowing him more and becoming more like him. And I thought, man, that's, that's a great quote, except it doesn't, it doesn't clarify the part that is God's part and the part that is our part. And, and so I think I would shift it and I would say, we need to be walking in relationship with Jesus, knowing him more, and as a result of that, we will become more and more like Jesus. And that's his work. That's his job, right? He makes us more and more like him. But there is a piece that is, that is ours. We're walking with Jesus and we're doing these things. And so as I focus on that, I just kind of wanted to clarify that. Um, what's funny is last week in uh, the youth room, they were in Luke 6 and they finally got to the wise and foolish builders. Do you remember those from your youth? The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built... Okay, okay. Uh, I will stop singing for you. Um, so, and I was like, man, why does Aaron get to teach this? It's one of my favorite passages. So I said I would teach all of you about this same thing. So if you would turn to Luke 6, it's Luke 6, 46 to 49. I'm just going to go ahead and read that. Um, and here's what it says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And what's funny is puts them into practice, right? Immediately, as a former athlete, I started thinking about athletics. And I don't know if you guys have ever been on a team or watched a team on TV when they, everything starts to unravel. And it just starts to unravel in a game, right? And their destruction is complete. And you'll hear the announcers start to say things like, oh, wow, I think we know what they're going to do in practice next week. Right? I, and then you hear the interview, the post-game interview, and they, they pull this professional athlete aside, and he's like, yeah, I'll probably be working on these drills and these drills and these drills. In, in athletics, we call these the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals of your sport are those little things that matter in the middle of the biggest games. And I'm... I used to be a basketball player too in, in high school. And uh, one of the things that would happen to me is I, I, would, I was the point guard, so I had, I had to take lots of long shots. And sometimes my shot would just start bouncing off the front of that rim. I mean, just dink, 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 and it would just clang off the front of that rim. And so when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And I would be back in the gym and I would be examining every little piece of my form for that shot. So I would get in there. And by the way, I lived in Minnesota at this time. 
If I couldn't get in the gym, I was in my backyard with my mittens on <laughs> and <laughs> practicing the ball. I would, hold, I would make sure my feet were stationed right. Are my feet pointing in the right direction? Do I have the right bend? Am I holding the ball right? Is that elbow in, right? I'm coming up. All right, is my follow through good, right? And I would do this and I would figure out exactly what part of my form had fallen apart so that I wasn't making baskets anymore. And, and then I would figure it out and I would practice and practice and practice so that in the big game, I wouldn't crumble. And athletes do this all of the time. This is a normal thing. I, I'm always a little bit like just impressed with these professional athletes who are 20, 30 years into their sport, right? And the coach is like, hey, fundamentals, here's how you tackle, right? And they're like, yep, yep, wasn't doing that well. And they go and they practice it again, right? I've also been told that this is the same in music. I don't even know what this means. So I'm going to read it from Miss Erin Van Mall. Uh, but here, because I was telling her about this, she goes, when I'm having trouble with a particular run, either piano or voice, I know it's time to do some additional scale work. If I can't make it through a passage on the allotted breaths, there are marks in them, by the way, Becky. I know I need to work on my breath control with exercises to expand my lung capacity and exercises to control how much breath gets out on each note. If my voice is failing me on a note because it's too high, I take a step back and I do some exercises to strengthen the muscles in my vocal cords so that it won't happen again. There's fundamentals in all of life. The interesting thing to me is that in life, we don't get all bent out of shape when those things go wrong. Right? You don't hear the athlete, it's what you don't hear them saying. You don't hear the athlete going off and being like, ah, I'm a failure. Ah, I'm never going to play sports again. And like walk off, right? That's, that's not what's going to happen. You don't hear him saying, oh, I'm going to go hide from my teammates. I'm embarrassed. I messed up again. Yeah, you messed up on national television. Everybody knows, right? There's no reason for you to go hide, right? But you do see, what you do see is there are some sports where a single player can kind of really lose the game, right? And you see this especially in football with quarterbacks. If they're having a bad game, but what does that quarterback do? He goes into that locker room and he's like, ah, guys, I'm so sorry. I screwed up, that was my fault. And what does the team do? Do they like throw eggs at him and yeah, you suck, leave the team, right? They don't judge him at all. This is what's amazing about a team, right? They come around him and they're like, yeah, you did suck. <laughs> yeah, that was horrible, you lost that game. But guess what? We're on a team and we're gonna go back and we're gonna practice our fundamentals and we're gonna do it again. And you know what? Even the people who didn't screw up have to help the quarterback. The quarterback needs to work on his passing, so the receiver is going to stay after practice and work with him for an hour or two, maybe three or four. Other people help them to get back. They help them with their fundamentals. And this is so normal. And we, we don't even, we're just like, okay, yeah, I need to work on my scales. Okay, yeah, I need to work on my shot. And we go do this in life in such a humble, normal way. So why don't I see that in our Christian life? As we're walking through life, 
living with Christ, walking with Jesus. Why don't we have more of that attitude of, yeah, you know what? This is hard. And I just saw it crumble. What do I need to think about? What do I need to do? What do I need to go back to? And you know what? I'm not going to live in shame over it. I'm not going to hide from my other Christians over it. I'm going to get right back in that game. I'm going to fix it. We're going to have short accounts. It's going to be quick. Um, and uh, I was actually right above this is uh, right above this passage in Luke. You actually see a comparison of the tree and its fruit. It says a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. This is not something we haven't seen before, right? It reflects the heart. It's also in Galatians 5. Right? The, the tree is known by its fruit. The tree says the fruit of the spirit. What is the fruit of the spirit? You ready? Yes, good job, guys. I skipped one first service, so I decided to let you guys do it. All right. Uh, so the fruit of the spirit, right? These are the things that are going to be produced in our lives. These are the shots that swish. These are the catches that the quarterback makes, right? These are those beautiful things that are coming out of our lives as Christians when the Holy Spirit is in charge. And then there's other things that are not so beautiful. And it actually says this in Galatians 5. It says, you know, the, 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 the fruit of the flesh is, is pretty obvious. And we're going to read that in a little bit. I probably don't have to tell you too much. Um, but if you actually look back at this passage says the wise and foolish builders, Jesus starts by saying, everyone who comes to me and, here's my words, and puts them into practice. And I feel like in the Christian life, a lot of times what we do is we're so good about coming. I'm going to come. And we're pretty good about listening. Ah, I'm going to listen. And then he's like, put it into practice. And we're like, mm. but that will, mm. And it's a big, long jump to the putting it into practice. And yet this is the piece that builds the house on the solid foundation. It's all three parts. We have to be willing to come. We have to be willing to listen. And we have to be willing to put it into practice. I'm going to give you a couple examples in case it's too abstract. You can tell I teach the youth. All right, so um, let's go to Matthew 18. I think we can all agree that forgiveness is kind of a fundamental of the Christian life that none of us appreciate. Uh, so I'm going to actually read from verses 15 to 17 first. It says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Doesn't say, go tell your best friend about it and make sure that the two of you talk excessively long about it. And then and then not even go talk to that person. It doesn't say go to your other friends and get all of them and, and say that you just need prayer. <sighs> this is code for gossip. And we, that's not what scripture teaches us. If your brother or sister sins against you, go point it out to them just between the two of you. So when we see the fruit of going to all of my friends, talking to other people, and all of these things before I approach the very person that I have a problem with. This is not fruit of the Spirit. 
and also says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still do not listen to you, tell the church. If they refuse to listen to even the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Scripture tells us what to do when people sin against us. Um, and there's something else. Uh, we all like to do it in this direction, right? Well, you offended me. So I'm going to come to you and tell you. But what happens when we're the one that's approached? And someone comes to you and says, you've offended me. What is our response? <laughs> There's a humility that has to be there. There's a humility that has to be there that says, you know what? You're right. And I'm going to ask for your forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Because we are supposed to live on short accounts with each other. So we need to be quick to forgive, and we need to be quick to ask for forgiveness, whether or not we think we were wrong or not. So uh, if you want to know how serious Jesus is about uh, forgiving each other, us forgiving each other, just keep going. If you read in Matthew 18, keep going. This is the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you haven't heard it, it's going to convict you to the soul, but luckily it's Jesus' words and not mine. So then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So generous. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold. That is a lot of money, people. And he was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when his servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. And he used the same words. Pay back. Oops. Whoa. He began to choke him. Pay back. I have the wrong page, you guys. Literally, it goes from pay back to grapes from briars. <laughs> So please hold while I find the second page. Here it is. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart kind of convicting, huh? 
Um, I've been reading a little bit about uh, Rob Reimer. <laughs> and he said that when he's struggling to uh, forgive other people, he starts out by writing down all of the sins that God has forgiven him for. And he says, he writes and he writes all of these sins. God's forgiven me for this, for this, for this. He said somewhere around the bottom of page two, he finds himself having a lot of grace for his brother or sister. It's in light of everything that God has forgiven us of that it ought to seem like nothing that we forgive each other. I know that it doesn't. But if we've forgotten how much God has forgiven us, we need to remind ourselves. Because this is fundamental. Jesus did not mince his words here. If you are not forgiving each other, something is off. And go back to it. So, <clears throat> uh, as a teacher... I used to, used to, when I was nice and young, I used to avoid topics that uh, I had failed in because I thought, well, I failed in these things, so I can't teach on them because then I'm, you know, that's, that's not okay. Um, and that's because I grew up in the church, and in the church, what I had been taught as a kid was, you're forgiven and you're saved by grace, but then you need to live in shame over all the sins that you've done in your life. And if you fail, live in more shame because you are a Christian and you're not supposed to do that. And I lived in this state of shame all the way through. And uh, now I realize um, as an adult and, uh, you know, Jesus and I became, you know, we had a relationship of our own. I realized when he said, uh, you are forgiven, what he meant was I was forgiven and it was done, and it was gone, right? And there's so many verses, you guys, just read Galatians, but like, there are so many verses that say, you are free, live in freedom, stop living in slavery. This shame, this, this is not what I died for. I died to set you free, now live in the freedom, right? So I have to tell you that now I use my, awesome failures, to tell everyone else about them so that they will be a learning example. And one of those things that is so beautiful as an example is I used to be, as a child, a prolific liar. Um, I learned early on that if I lied, I could get out of trouble. My brother and sister weren't the brightest. Uh, my, ironically, my brother is a genius, actually, um, but he didn't quite figure out the social side of it. Uh, so, so I would watch them just, I mean, they would get in so much trouble with my parents and then their sneaky little middle child. And I would just be like, oh, if I just say this, or if I don't say anything at all and leave out half the story, I won't get in trouble. It worked beautifully all the way through. Then I got into high school and I figured out that, you know, with those same things, I can manipulate people. I can manipulate my friends. I can manipulate those around me and I can kind of control how this goes. Like, this is a great, this is amazing. And it just kind of became habit. This is how I lived. Like, this is just life. And, uh, and, 
And then I got married. And uh, my, my husband is awesome. And he can intellectually spar with the best of them. So uh, we were playing games. We moved to Reading. We didn't have any friends. We didn't have a church yet. We didn't have anything. So just the two of us. And we had just gotten married. And the and. We couldn't afford a TV, so we didn't have a TV. We didn't have, yeah. So we would play games at night. And of course, I mean, if you're already a liar and a manipulator, when you play games, you cheat. This, the point is to win. And you, how do you win if you don't cheat? So I was a very good cheater as well. So uh, I would cheat. And my husband was like, why are you cheating? And he caught me like every time, right? It never failed. He caught me every single time. And I was like, man, finally one day he looked at me and he goes, I'm not... I'm not playing games with you anymore. And I was like, whoa, not playing games? Please, no. And I was like, he's like, it's not fun. It's not fun to play with a cheater. And I was like, what? And I kind of went away and I was like, I can't believe he called me a cheater. Uh, but Jesus used that confrontation in my life to, be, to point out the whole pattern of it for me. You're not just a cheater, Becky, you're a liar and you manipulate things. And I was like, oh. So it took me a little while to come around, but I started reading scripture, and I started reading about the words of my mouth. And guess what the words of my mouth are supposed to be? <laughs> Uplifting, encouraging, and building others up. And the words of my mouth were not doing that. The words of my mouth were divisive. They were causing division in my marriage, and they were tearing others down. And I bring it up because do you guys know how fun games are to play when you're not cheating? I like, do you know how easy life is to live when you're not trying to figure out if this lie is going to match this lie and it's going to match this lie? And wait, is the thing that's going to come out of my mouth right now going to contradict any of those lies? That is one stressful way to live. And it's exhausting. And there is so much freedom. I, I, I keep coming back to the games because it's so funny. But I can play the game and I can be talking and I can play the game at the same time because I'm not worried about when I'm going to get caught. I'm just talking. And in life, life became free because I knew that what was coming out of my mouth was really what had happened. It was the truth. And I didn't have to worry about if what was going to come out next was going to be the truth. It was always going to match. It's beautiful. And the freedom on this side of lying is so worth it. It is worth changing that habit. Right? It, it, habits don't change right away, do they? I, I, I mean, I spent 20-something years in that habit. So it didn't change right away. But luckily, I had a safe person to start changing with. And that was my husband. And, and it's just like that shot, right? Just like that free throw. Oh, shoot, my feet aren't even lined up. And I would say something, and I knew, I was like, ah, that was a half-truth, right? And I'd be like, sorry, Micah, stop. That wasn't the whole truth. And he's like, okay, what is it? And then I would tell the whole truth, right? Got my feet lined up. And then it was thing after thing, time after time, until finally I could get that shot falling. It took a lot of time. Look, it took a lot of effort. We can't shy away from that. That's, that's normal. <laughs> that's classic. Um, so 
I think that I wish that it was just enough, right? The words that Jesus uses in, in this passage, he says, uh, those who come to me, those who listen to me, and those who obey, follow, that word gets changed depending on the version that you're looking at. But those who obey. Um, it would be nice if I had just been able to say, oh, one of the Ten Commandments is stop lying. Right? And I could have just stopped lying. But God is so gracious to us. And that he knows where, what do we need to hear? What do we need to see? What's going to hit us? And if it's games, it's games. And he's going to hit us. Um, but when God, when Jesus is the one convicting us, there's going to be grace and kindness and love behind it. We, we have to tell the kids this a lot. The difference between conviction and condemnation. I'm just going to clarify this real quick, right? God, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And in that, there's a restoration piece. We are convicted. We recognize it. But we don't have shame. We don't have all of these other thoughts that I'll go to in a second. There will be restoration with him. There will be restoration with other people in our lives. And there will be restoration within our, our, the patterns of our lives. Right? That will be the purpose of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you are under condemnation, condemnation says things like, you suck, you're a failure, this is never, you're never going to make it, you are not enough. Hide. Run away. Don't let anyone see you. Live in shame. Those messages are the enemy, and you need to send them away because they are not truth. Those messages are the enemy. They're your pride. Hate to call out your pride, but it rears up a lot, right? And we need to send those away. And I have a really, actually, I have a really good example of this. Um, just a few weeks ago, <laughs> I changed Job to Jonah. Uh, I, was, I was praying, and God, God was like, here, Jonah. And I was all, mm, ain't nobody want to be Jonah. Like, there is not one good thing about Jonah. I, I can't think of one anyway. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, basically God comes to Jonah and he says, hey, I want you to go preach to Nineveh. And, and, Jonah's, and Jonah's like, ah, nope. And he gets on a boat and goes the other way. Because he's like, I, yeah. And you know what his excuse is? I know you. You're gracious and you're kind and you're slow to anger. You're going to forgive those people. And I want nothing to do with that. Right? He's like accusing God of being amazing. And uh, obviously he's got some heart. Anyhow. So he gets on the boat and he runs away. And then God's like, yeah, you don't get to run away. And brings him all the way back. And fish eats him, right? Throws him up on the shore. And, and then he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go into the city. So he goes into the city and he preaches. And then the whole city repents, right? You would think he'd be like, yeah, I preached and everybody repented. It was amazing. No, no, he's angry. I told you what was going to happen. I knew it. I knew all those people would come to live, love you. And he's like, I'm out. And he goes and he starts pouting on the, on the, on the hill, right? He's sitting on a hill. The Lord has just saved 180,000 or whatever it is, people, and he's sitting on the hill, pouting. And, and, and then God, you know, brings like a plant and 
gives him shade, and the plant dies, and he whines about that. And, like, and then the story just ends. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, that's neat. Thanks, Lord. And I was like, you sure? I don't think I'm Jonah. And he's like, yeah, you're pouting. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm pouting. Okay, what do you want me to do? Uh, ask me for forgiveness? Oh, okay, okay, step one. Lord, please forgive me. All right, what do you want me to do next? Um, ask me who else need, you need to ask for forgiveness? Oh, like Matthew 18 style, right? Okay, all right, who else do you need to ask forgiveness? And then people came to my mind. And I had to go to them and say, I'm sorry that I sinned against you while I was pouting. Please forgive me. There's restoration with Jesus. There was restoration with my fellow believers. And then it wasn't quite done. He's like, I said, what else do you want? And he said, go back into the city. And I was like, if I go back into the city, that's where I failed. And everybody in that city knows that I failed. And they're all going to know that. And he's like, yep, but this time you're going to keep your eyes on me. And you're not going to lose track and start looking at everybody else in the city. And I was like, oh, okay. So, so we went back. But in all of that, as pointed and direct as that conviction was, I mean, that is not fun to hear, right? Like, it was in love. And it was in grace. And it was in mercy. And it was in such a way that I was like, oh, yep, okay. That's, that's you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit will come free of condemnation. When you hear and you feel and you sense the Holy Spirit telling you, this is a fundamental that you need to work on. It's time. It's time to make things right with God. It's time to make things right with each other. It's time to make things right in your ministry and what you're supposed to be doing. And those are the three things that I learned. Um, so, uh, I know that I definitely do not have time to go into all of the fundamentals of the Christian life. Uh, there's an entire book written on them. I don't have my Bible. Uh, anyhow, um, but in Galatians 5, it really points out, and I'm going to find that. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and look there. It really starts talking. It goes back to this idea of, hey, when you start to see the fruit and the fruit of your actions, what you are seeing in your life is negative, that's not God. And when you see it positive, that is. So it says uh, in verse 16, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature craves. It says verse 19, <clears throat> when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, worshiping something that isn't God, sorcery, hostility, means anger, quarreling, fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, that means division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. 
Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous. So if we go back to this sports analogy and we go back to this tree analogy, um, there's a humility that needs to mark the life and the lifestyle of, of us as Christians. Um, you know, when we start to see fits of rage and quarreling and my words being used as division, it is not for us to jump to, I'm a sinner, I'm a failure, I'm a, and to hide and condemn. Those are warning signs. That's the ball bouncing off the front of the rim. Clink, clink, clink. And it's the warning sign for us to go back and say, oh, okay, all right, Jesus, you said come to you. All right, I'm coming to you. Why is the ball bouncing off the front of the rim? You said, listen, because <laughs> sometimes when he tells us, we don't want to listen, right? And, and he'll tell you, hey, this is what you're missing. You're, you're functioning in a place of jealousy. You are functioning from a place of envy. You're functioning from a place of selfish ambition and your own pride. And then the choice is yours. After I've listened, am I gonna step over here and say, all right, Lord, I'm gonna practice. I'm gonna practice what's right again and again and again until it's habit. So that our lifestyle is this habit of forgiveness, this habit of living with each other in openness and in honesty and being willing to quickly forgive and to quickly ask for forgiveness, right? I'm on a journey with Jesus. You're on a journey with Jesus. But over and over, Jesus talks about, hey, you and me, we're good. But you listen to me. It matters how you live with each other. It matters immensely to me how you live with each other. Be quick. And that's what the athletes do, right? One game. One game of it falling apart, one game of things not working, and they're like, uh-oh, and they're on it. They're, okay, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to go practice. One time of an outrage, one time of gossiping instead of going and talking to that person, and we need to stop, and we need to ask Jesus to help us walk through this the way he wants us to do it. I'd love to see us living our Christian life the way the athletes approach their sport or the way musicians approach their music. Quick change, short accounts, and love. As we start this new year, I don't think we need a big, grand, new revelation from God. I think we just need to get back to the fundamentals 
and actually practice them and live them out in our lives. So I'm going to read Luke 6 one more time and then close this out. I think, oh, I was like, I lost grace. Okay. <laughs> Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Lord, we, we thank you for the hard teachings that you have for us. We thank you that you are so clear in so many ways in your scripture. And Lord, we ask that as you convict us of the things that you want us to work on, I pray that we would have the courage to face them. I pray that we would have the courage to walk through them with you. And Lord, that we would continue to dig down deep into you and who you are and build our foundation on you and you alone. So Lord, as we settle our feet in on you and the torrents come, that your fruit, your love is what will pour out of our lives. In your name, amen.